are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. All right. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 19, or it'll be on the slides, or you can open up an app or an iPad or whatever is easiest that you will be able to follow along with us as we work through this gospel. Um, I have a new favorite movie, Maverick. It's one, it's one of the greatest movies ever made, and I'm not even kidding. Okay. Um, Citizen Kane, Goodfellas, Godfather, Maverick. And there's this scene, if you haven't seen it, and if you haven't seen it by now, then you know, you're not a Christian or, uh, you know, I don't know. But there's a scene as the movie's kind of getting to the end where the bad guys and the good guys are going to, you know, fight. And, and Tom Cruise has to choose his wingman. And he's been training these Top Gun graduates. They're all great pilots. But there's one who's kind of head and shoulders above the rest. His name's Hangman. And he's arrogant and he's handsome and he's good. And he's the obvious choice, right? You're going to choose this guy. He's the best. But what does Maverick do? Of course, he chooses Rooster, who is Goose's son, and you know, there's all that backstory. But Rooster's kind of this cautious, more timid, safe, and he's got issues with Maverick. He's the least likely one to choose, but what does Maverick do? He chooses him, and of course, they go off and save the world, right? But he's not the one you expect. You expect Hangman, this guy who's the best, he's attractive, he's the one everyone wants, and that's not who he chooses. He chooses the, the guy that you would be like, I don't know. And that's the heart of our text this morning is that there's two different groups who want to be near Jesus, who want to be in the kingdom. And they both approach and one is in and the other is not. And it's not the one you would expect. It's not the one you would choose. It's actually the opposite of the one you would choose. And the question we got to ask today is why? Why does God choose this group and not this? What is it about this one over here that he says they're in and this guy over here, he's not? That's the question we got to ask today and answer today as we look at Matthew 19 verses 14 to 30. And this is really, it's a, it's a text and comparison. Two different groups, both coming to Jesus, one's in, one's out, right? And it's not the one you expect. So what we're gonna do is I'm gonna read the text, we'll kind of walk through the text, explain it, uh, and then um, show you the kind of the contrast there, and then hopefully land with some applications for us this morning. Um, so verse 16, I mean, excuse me, verse 13. Then children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. And the disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to them, which ones? And he said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go and sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? 
But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And Peter said in reply, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you, will have followed, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 tribes, 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So we see the first group brought to Jesus in verse 13. Children were brought to him. Luke's gospel. This is one of the passages, by the way, that's the only one of the few passages that's found in all three of the synoptic gospels. And so God includes this story three times in the word, which means he wants us to get it. When God puts the same story three times in the Bible, that means he wants you to get it. And so Luke's gospel uses the word uh, that's used for infants are brought to him. So we're talking not just like 12-year-olds, we're talking babies, little guys, little gals that are brought to Jesus. But his disciples, for some reason, think they're like acting like celebrity handlers, like, no, ma'am. No, children's hour is tomorrow, and when you get a happy meal, and you can come at 11 o'clock, okay? We don't do children. Jesus is way too important. We got things to do. He's got places to go, and so kids are later. We, you're just not that important right now. That's their heart, and he, they actually rebuked people. The disciples are rebuking these moms and dads who want their, their little ones to just be prayed over by Jesus, to just be touched by Jesus, to just be blessed by Jesus, and here's what's interesting. The disciples rebuke the people, and Jesus, in turn, rebukes the disciples. In fact, Mark's gospel said that Jesus was indignant. He's hot. He is mad at these guys for keeping the people away. And he says to them, hold on. I had to turn my mic off so I didn't just like scare everybody there. Um, Jesus says to the disciples, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And so he laid hands on them uh, it says in the other gospels that he was hugging them and they were, can you just picture, here's the Lord Jesus, these little babies, he's kissing them, they're giggling, they're loving him, he's loving them, he's praying for them, he's laying hands. All these parents are just so thankful and then he went away. So what is, what is it about, why do the disciples so anti-kids? They like hate kids, right? Are they just grumpy old men? No, they saw children in that day like everyone else did, as insignificant, as a hassle. They don't have... Kids don't have anything to offer, right? Jesus is on mission, right? He's important. He's his rabbi. He's teaching. He's doing miracles. He's, he's this and they're that. They don't really have anything to offer him. But yet Jesus says, no, no, I want them to come to me. What is it about kids? Because let's be honest, kids, little kids, babies, they're needy. They are. I, my kids are all older now, so youngest is 14, so I'm not in that stage. But some of you, babies are needy. They, they can't even like hold their head up on there and they're all like, you know, here and you have to like put your head, come on. And you know, I mean, what happens when the passy falls out? It's like a nightmare. I go, oh, I gotta go. The passy's right there. Just can't you just grab it and put it back in? It's just so simple. They can't do that. They can't feed themselves. They can't clothe themselves. They can't change themselves. They can't wash themselves. They can't put themselves in the car. They just are need factories, even when they get a little older. When they're 18 months, and you have, they can finally hold their head up and they can sit in the high chair. You still got to cut the Vuna, put the Cheerios on, they throw them down, you got to spill the milk. It's just like constant need, need, need. And it is a glorious day when your children can finally dress themselves. 
put their shoes on. This is why God invented Velcro for us. <laughs> I remember when my kids were little, my wife bought these little green rain boots at Target, had little eyes on the front. And they were, our kids wore that to everything, church, weddings, everywhere, because they just slid right on. It was like, this is beautiful. Like they're all wearing these green boots. It was awesome because it was self-sufficient because kids are needy. If you have young kids, you know this. They're, you take your young kids on a vacation. It's not. It's not vacation. We're going to go to the beach. Oh, that'll be fun. Yeah, we got to have buckets and diapers and swimmies and sunscreen and Cheerios and, oh, this one's got to go to the bathroom. Just let them go in the ocean. Just let them go. It's just not restful until they get to a point where they're not as needy. And what Jesus is saying here, though, is it's the neediness that, that draws me to them. The, the kingdom belongs to the, to the broken and to the needy, to those who the world says you're not valuable. He's like, no, 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 they're the ones that sit in my lap. They're the ones who are, they come with no prejudice and just listen and they trust me. They're not like evaluating, well, you said this, Jesus, what did you mean by this? No, they're just taking me at my word. Faith like a child. Kingdom belongs to them. Not impressive, but that's the ones who are in. Contrast that to the guy who shows up next, verse 16. And behold, and, and Matthew uses this word see, it's a command. Behold, look. He wants you to see him. He wants you to see him coming up. He, this guy comes up to him. Mark's gospel says he gets on his knees before Jesus. He says, teacher, what, what good deed must I do to, to have eternal life? Here's what's interesting to me. The disciples are like, kids, no kids, kids, no kids. Why don't they stop this dude? He comes all running up to Jesus and they're like, oh, look at this guy. We need this guy on our team, right? Because what you find out from all three gospels when you put the accounts together, this guy, three things about him. He's rich, he's young, and he's a ruler. It's called the rich young ruler, right? He is everything that you and I, if we're honest, want to be. Rich, that's why we have the Powerball, right? Young, who is not like, oh man, I can't even walk anymore. I need to be young again, right? A ruler, he's got authority, he's got influence. People like him, they wanna be like him. He's got everything that in our mind, the world would say, this is the guy, right? And so why do the disciples not take, like, oh no, no, sir, you gotta come back tomorrow. Because they think if we can just get this guy on our team, then we can do some real work here, people, right? That's the kind of guy we need, and he comes asking a question. It's, and this is a great question. Teacher, what must I do to, to eternal, to have, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I mean, if you're an evangelist, if you're the son of man who came to seek and save the lost, and a guy comes up to you and says, hey, how do I get to heaven? This is an easy one. This is like, oh man, this is like teed up here. Which makes Jesus' response very interesting. He doesn't actually answer. He says, why do you ask me about what's good? The other, the other accounts say, why do you call me good? Right? There's no one good, but God, why is Jesus getting so nitpicky here about what this guy's asking? Why didn't he just answer the question? He's asking a legit question. She's like, why do you call me good? What is, what is really good? Because Jesus knows that this guy has two key misunderstandings. Number one, about who he is. What does he call Jesus? Teacher, or even good teacher. Is Jesus a teacher? Yeah, he can teach, but he's so much more than that, Right? When he asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Yeah, some say you, John the Baptist, kind of get your head back, John the Baptist. Jeremiah, one of the prophets, you know, all these things. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, that is right. See, teacher is not enough. 
He is in a category all by himself. That's who he is, which is why he says, there's no one good but God. Hint, 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 hint. If you're calling me good, then I must be God because there's no one good. The second misunderstanding he has is that he could somehow, some way do something to be good, to get to heaven, right? What good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? He thinks he can be good. He thinks that, that there's something in him that can kind of buck up and do good. And he, he's misunderstanding, and he should know better. I mean, even Jesus' response, there's no one good but God. Hint, 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 hint. He should be like, oh, that's right. Because the psalmist says, they have all turned aside. Together, they have all become corrupt. There is none who does good, not one. God looks down these seas. There's nobody good. And this guy's response to Jesus saying, no one's good but God. He should have said, yeah, my bad, I know. You're right. I'm not good. But he actually believes he is good, right? He's good. And so Jesus is going to respond to the question, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? It's interesting. Jesus doesn't say what I would say. I'd be like, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your house. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. That's what I would have said. Here's what's interesting what Jesus says. He's going to take the law that this guy thinks he's keeping and he's going to use it for what the purpose the law had, which was to show you that you couldn't keep the law because he thinks he kept the law. So he says to him, why do you ask me what's good? There's only one who's good. You want to enter life? Keep the commandments. Keep the law. To which this guy amazingly says, all right, which laws? I mean, there's like 330 something of them. Which ones are you talking about? What, what batting average do I need to have here that's good enough to make me an all-star, to get in? Jesus, what, which laws are you talking about? And so Jesus answers. He quotes the second half of the Ten Commandments. Those commandments that deal with our relationship with each other, not the ones that, first four, that deal with our relationship with God. Because these are more tangibly seen, right? So say, you know, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. And he summarizes it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's kind of the summary, right? Do those things. And his response is amazing. Got done, been there, done that. Got that t-shirt. All these things I've done, I've kept them since I was a youth. I, that's, that's what I've been doing, Jesus. Isn't that an amazing statement? Especially in light of the fact that we've seen that what Jesus says, that the real meaning of don't murder is not just don't kill somebody, it's, hey, do you ever yell at your wife? Guilty. You didn't commit adultery. Yeah, you've been faithful to your wife. You ever lust? Guilty. You ever mouthed off to mom, got grounded? Guilty. It's deeper than the external, it's the heart. But here's this guy like, done it. Can, can, I, can you imagine if I said in the room, hey, anybody here kept the Ten Commandments? And someone's like, yeah, that's me. First, my first response would be, you're like, oh, really? What are they? Because most of you don't know more than like, uh, don't murder. Second response is, hey, can you show me where they are in the Bible? Because most of you would be like, I don't, I don't know, but I saw the Prince of Egypt and they were there. <laughs> Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. Third response would be, hey, how do you pronounce Deuteronomy? Look at, look at the word Deuteronomy. Most of you can't, you're like, uh, yeah. It's amazing to me when people are asked, hey, how do I know I'm get to heaven? They say, I keep the 10 commandments. They don't know what they are. They don't know where they are. And they don't know how to pronounce the word of the book that they're in. But, but yet we'll rely on these things. This guy's saying, I've done them. I've done them, which is an amazing statement considering the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Considering the intent of the commands was to show you that you can't do them. I mean, think about this. If you only sin five times a day, 
Let's say you sin five times a day your entire life. That means you'll have sinned in one year about 1,800 times. And your lifetime, if you live to 70, you'll have, you'll have sinned 127,000 plus-ish times. That's if you just sin five times a day. Some of you can't make it to the 11 o'clock service without five times of sin in the car on the way. To, to say that you've kept the commandments, anybody, is, is foolish. But here he is, right? But yet, here's, here's a telling question. This is, this is what's so surprising. He said, I've done this. What do I still lack? See, there's something inside of his soul that he recognizes that he is not secure. Because if he really had done them, he should be confident, right? But see, this is the problem. When you approach righteousness and goodness based on a list of things you've done or haven't done, you will always be like this guy. You'll never know if you've done enough. It's like my retirement guy. He's always, he always calls me every year. He's like, well, you're saving enough? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not gonna die. I'm not gonna starve. I mean, I can always go camping for the rest of my life. I don't know. And it's always like, I don't know. I don't know. Am I gonna have enough? And that's where you live. If your righteousness is based on what you can do, you're always gonna wonder, have I done enough? And if you live your life, your spiritual life, it's just, if it's based on how well you perform, if that's how you looked at God, and God loves me because I do fill in the blank, you're gonna have this up and down spiritual experience because it's gonna be based on, well, how many, have you done your quiet time? If you haven't done your quiet time, God's mad. And you know, you, you, if you can make it through carpool with not yelling at your kids and not yelling at that lady who doesn't seem to understand the concept of get your kids ready before they get out of the car and you're waiting there, you've been doing this for six months, lady, this is carpool. It's supposed to be like airborne ragers. You just slow down and let them jump. That's the way it's supposed to work. But if you can't make it through that without yelling, then the day's gonna be horrible because God's mad at me. But if I can be patient with the kids and that lady and read my Bible, then God is happy with me. If you live your life, that's how your righteousness is based, you will never have hope because it's based on what you've done. That's why he's asking the question, right? That's why he's asking. But Jesus is not gonna leave him hanging. Here's the, here's the beauty of it. Mark's gospel says here, I wish Matthew included it, but Mark's gospel says, Jesus loved him. Not a great statement. He agapeo. It's that deep covenant love. Don't ever let anyone tell you that God doesn't love sinners. Jesus loves this guy. He makes this arrogant statement. I've kept the law. And as arrogant of a statement that is, Jesus is not mad at him. He's like, oh, you go ahead and enjoy that, buddy. He loves this guy. He just knows that he's blind. So he's gonna try to take the blinders off of him, right? He loves lost people. So what does he tell him? Verse 21, if you wanna be perfect, you wanna be perfect. How good do you have to be to get into heaven? You gotta be perfect. So if you wanna perfectly keep the law, here's what you need to do. Sell what you possess and give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Now, is Jesus saying, if you wanna get to heaven, you gotta give all your stuff away? No, that's, that's not the point. What is he doing? What is the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law is to show you you can't keep the law. Right? So you got all the laws in the book of Exodus and all the laws in the book of Deuteronomy and sandwiched right in the middle is a book that most of you have never written, read. It's called Leviticus. And Leviticus tells you what to do when you break the law. There's all these offerings and sacrifices and things that you're supposed to do when I don't do this, I gotta do this. And that, the point of that is you're not gonna keep it and you can't. And so what you need to recognize is you can't keep it and you need God's grace and you, you need God's mercy. And Jesus has taken the law that this guy thinks he has obeyed to show him he really hasn't. So he says this, you wanna be perfect? 
sell all your stuff and give it away. Why does he say that? Because what is commandment number one? Numero uno. You shall have no other gods before me. What is this guy's God? His stuff, his money, his power, his prestige, his authority, right? That's, so he's, he's putting his finger on the issue. You're, you kept the law? Let's see. Are you willing to really love your neighbor as yourself and give him all your stuff? Are you really willing to love me more than anything else? We're gonna put all your stuff over here in a pile. Your 401k, your camels, you know, your, your lake house on the Sea of Galilee. And here I am over here. Choose one. Which one do you want? That's what he says to him. And it's not because he has to give it away and that's the only way to heaven. It's to show him he is not as good as he thinks. He's not. And that's shocking to him because here's, here's what you have to understand in the, in the first century mindset. If you were rich in their mind, that means God was pleased with you because you were rich because God was pleased with you and he blessed you with stuff because he's pleased with you. That's how they thought. So rich people, they were the holy people because God had blessed them. And if you weren't, then you weren't holy. So in his mindset, I'm good. Why? Because God has lavished all these good things on me. And Jesus is saying, I need you to take everything you're wrapped up, like your identity, who you believe you are, and I need you to throw aside. I need you to come and follow me. And he cannot do it. He hears it and he wants, goes away sorrowful. Notice he doesn't talk anymore. Why? Because when God speaks and there's conviction, there's silence. You can't say nothing else. But wait, 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 wait. He knows he's guilty, but yet he loves his stuff more than he loves God and he walks away sad because he can't, he can't part with it. It's too important. And I'm not as good as I thought I was. So maybe I can drown out my sorrows and my lake house on the Dead Sea, right? He goes away sad. And Jesus looks at his disciples. He says, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Which is again, shocking to them because they're thinking, wait, rich people are the blessed ones. They're, they're the ones that are already holy. God's been blessing them. He says, you know how hard it is? It's harder for a camel, the biggest animal in Palestine, to go through the smallest hole that they can fathom, a needle, it's harder for that camel to fit through that hole. And some of you have heard you know, sermons in the past, well, he's talking about this, there's a gate in Jerusalem called the needle gate and the camel can't walk through it because it's too tall, but if it gets on its knees and takes its backpack off, then it can crawl through. So if you just get on your knees and take everything off, you can get through. That's not what Jesus is talking about. That's what they tell tourists who come from America with money so they can take your money, okay? It has nothing to do with some gate. He's, Luke's gospel uses the term for a surgical needle because Luke's a doctor, remember? He uses a surgical needle. What he's saying is a camel getting through a needle. He said, well, and, and you're like, well, how is that? How can, can't happen, right? It's impossible. That is the point. And the disciples get it. They're like, what? Right, that's my translation. What are you talking about? They're greatly astonished. Well, if they can't get in, if rich people who are blessed by God in their mindset can't get in, then who can be saved? They're astonished. And see, that is the, that is the point, y'all. Who can be saved? Rich, poor, old, young? Who can? And what Jesus says to them is, he's, with man, it's impossible. Like the camel getting through a needle. But with God, all things are possible. See, God can do it. You cannot. But what is the key? 
What is the key to this whole text? It's not how much money you have or how little money you have. The key is you gotta come what? Like a needy kid with your head like, I can't even lift my head, Jesus. You can, anybody can come to Jesus. But here's the point. If you're gonna come, you gotta come on your knees at the foot of the cross, and that is the only way. And if you think, well, I'll buy my way around and I'll be really good and I'll keep the Ten Commandments as best I can, and you're gonna skip the cross, you can do that, but you will miss Jesus. If you're gonna come, rich, poor, old, young, wherever you're from, you are welcome. But you come on your knees to a crucified and resurrected king, and that is the only way. But you gotta come needy, helpless, broken. And the reason why he says it's, it's challenging and difficult for a rich person to do this, here's why. Because when you got your Beamer and your lake house and your 401k, what need do you have? I don't need anything. I don't need church. I don't need God. I'm healthy. I got money. I got, if I want it, I buy it. If I want to go there, I get on a plane. I can do what I want. And that, when you have that mindset, it is very challenging to see, no, no, you're, you're really a kid with your head over here and your drool over here and your Cheerios over here and your passy over here. And you can't do nothing. Just because you can pay someone to put your passy in don't mean you, you, you have the capability. And it's very challenging for a person that has a lot of wealth to be needy. It's been well said that Christianity has always been the religion of the common man, right? It's the common man. It's not the religion of Caesars. It's, it's the religion of slaves in the first century. And it's continued that way. The apostle James, the half-brother of Jesus, says, God has chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith. That's what he's done. Right? And so it's significant and it's, it's hard, it's difficult for someone who doesn't, willing to, to see their need, to be hangman and like, I got it all together rather than be rooster who's the reject. So that's where he lands. And Peter has to speak because he just does. And so he says, uh, Jesus, look what we've left and followed you. <laughs> we've left everything, right? We left a whole fishing net behind which is true, they did. They left their dad and they left the family business. And he says, what do we get? We've left it all, right? And is, is it, think about it. Is it easier to leave fishing nets or wealth? It's easier to leave fishing nets, which proves his point. But Jesus says, yes, I know. And truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you will have followed me, will sit on the 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He says, in the kingdom... When Jesus returns to this earth and sets up his kingdom on this earth, curse of sin removed. Uh, this is why, by the way, I believe that God still has a future for national Israel because this verse only makes sense if he does. He says, you 12, minus Judas, because he's out, but they're gonna replace him with another guy. You 12 will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel in the kingdom because you followed me, right? That, that's what you get. You're gonna have that, that ruling and ruling. And so I don't know if Peter's gonna get Simeon because that's kind of his name or if he gets Dan because it's up north and they want him out of sight and they don't wanna really see Peter because he talks too much. I don't know. But each one of those guys gets a tribe. And not just them in the kingdom. He says, and you, me, everyone who leaves father, houses, sisters, mother, father, children, lands for me, for my name's sake, and you will have a hundredfold inherit eternal life because the first will be last. Who gives the greatest gift? It's the widow who gives two pennies, which we wouldn't even bend over and pick up, but she has the greatest reward because she gave all she had. That's how the kingdom is. 
And what, what Jesus is saying is, if you invest in the kingdom, if you lose a relationship or this or that, a job, because you're following Jesus, if you lose something, it is a good investment. If I told you right now, hey, you give me $10,000, I'll give you a million as, as a return. You'd be like, oh, that's a pretty good, pretty good deal. That's what he says, a hundredfold, a hundredfold. He is the treasure that you find, and in the joy of finding it, you sell all you have so you could obtain that field. He is the pearl of great price, so that you sell all your inventory and you go to get that one pearl. That's what he is saying. That's me. That is the kingdom. Live for that. And, but, the, but the point is the same. You got to come needy and broken, right? That, that's the whole point of this passage, that the people that we think are in are not, and the people that we think uh, they're not really, they're in. Why? Because they're the ones who realize, I got nothing. I got nothing. And let me tell you, the question you have to ask, that I have to ask from this text is, what are you putting your trust in? Because I can tell you, right now, all across Savannah, all across the South, all across the world, there are people sitting in churches who think that because they vote the right way, they dress the right way, they act the right way, that they are good with God. And let me tell you, one day, if they don't repent, they will hear, depart from me, I never knew you. Because they're trusting in their own ability to please God. I go to church, I vote this, I pay my taxes, I'm a good citizen. I was a good dad. I took care of my parents. And Jesus is not impressed with your righteousness. He's not impressed with your deeds. He's not impressed with your beauty, your strength. He's impressed with your brokenness. The eyes of the Lord move to and fro, Chronicles says, seeking someone whose heart is fully as so he can strengthen them. That's what he's after. That's brokenness and contriteness. The, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. We keep seeing these things throughout the gospel. And my challenge to you is, hey, even if you know the right answers, some of you, your box that you've checked is, I believe Jesus is God. I believe the Bible. I believe he's virgin birth. I believe in the second person of the Trinity. I believe he died. I believe he rose again. I believe he's coming again. I believe this thing is true. Yeah, absolutely. You know who also believes? Satan he believes it probably as much, if not more than us, because he's seen him. He's been in his presence. What's the difference between the demons who believe and the Christian? We worship. We bend the knee. We treasure. They hate. It's not up here. It's, it's, it's affection. He is the treasure. And do we treat him like that? Right? Let me give you just some thoughts for those of us who are followers of Christ this morning, think about from this text, uh, and then we'll respond through some worship. Number one, this text reminds us that, that we are to make Jesus our treasure because he is worthy of more than playing second fiddle. A box that you kind of, you know, I got the job box, I got the family box, I got the hobby box, I got the University of Georgia football box, I got my Jesus box, and they all kind of have their place. He is more than a box to fill. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. And so I think the question you gotta ask and I gotta ask is, what do I treasure more than him? 
Because we give this guy a hard time, like, I can't believe that guy, how foolish. I mean, he could have been, you know, with Jesus. Okay, if Jesus comes to you and say, okay, you turn your 401k, your cars, your house, your everything, or choose me, and you, which one are you gonna do? And some of you, you're like, I don't even know what a 401k is, so I'm, I'm with you, Jesus, yes. But some of you have one, and it's got lots of zeros. And it, you might think, that's, that's a lot, that's a lot, Lord Jesus. Are you sure I can't take you and all this stuff? And the point is not you have to choose. The point is, what do you treasure more if you're really honest with yourself? I mean, that's what I have to ask. What do you treasure more? He's not, he's not gonna play second fiddle. This is why Paul tells us in Romans 12, one, to lay yourself down as an offering, as a sacrifice. Because you know, God, doesn't, God doesn't need your stuff, he don't need your lake house. He doesn't need your car. Was you gonna be like, oh, I gotta get down the street in heaven. I need his car. Like, I mean, he doesn't have a mortgage on the heavenly castles, right? He's not like, I need their money because we gotta pay the bills, Gabriel. He don't need your stuff. He wants your affection. He wants your heart. And that, we get this in human relationships, don't we? I mean, if it's just a couple dating and the guy's like, honey, you will always be a solid number two or three in my life. I mean, my job, University of Georgia football, and then you're, the, you're right there at number three. That's the bronze medal. You're going to be my bronze medal girl. What will we say? Okay, no, that's not how it works. We would, we would say, run, that's not it. That's not, that's not the way it works. We don't, we don't do romance movies and celebrate, oh, you're second place. I mean, some of y'all ladies, you love that movie, The Notebook. I know you do. Ryan Gosling. And there's that scene, right, where the girl, I don't know her name, but she's got to choose between the rich guy who her life is going to be easy country cub living, right? Or Ryan Gosling, who just so happened to rebuild the dream house. Now, he poor, but he love her. And none of y'all ladies, when he, she leaves the rich guy and runs to Ryan Gosling, go, girl, you made a mistake. You're all like, yes, you go back to Ryan. We're going to live happily ever forever. They don't because they die in the end. So <laughs> y'all ain't seen it by now. You ain't going to see it. It's like 20 years old. But none of y'all are like, oh, I can't believe she chose the poor guy with the, with the house. No, because you know that it's about that devotion and that commitment and that love. And the same is true with God. And here's the thing about it. We are to treasure him, but you, we can't even treasure him without his help. We can't save ourselves and we can't make him our treasure. And so here's the challenge I've given to all our services. Would you be willing to pray this week? God, help me to treasure you like you are worthy of. Would you delight yourself in the Lord and so that he will give you the desires of his heart? Because that's the only way. God's got to give us a new heart. He is the great physician. And he's got to give us that desire so that we, we hate our sin and we hate this more than him. And that's the idea. Only he can do that. But if we start praying that every day, we wake up, Lord, help me to treasure you today over this, over that, over everything. I can tell you, we do that, what are we going to do? We're going to love our neighbor as ourselves because we're loving our God with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and we're going to be effective for him. And we're going to find joy. Would you do that? That's, that's kind of one takeaway. Here's another one. And it's an obvious one. It's just guard yourself from the love of money. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. There's plenty of rich folks in the Bible who are, are godly. I mean, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and he was a rich little man and he became a follower of Jesus. Nicodemus, John chapter three, you know, for God so loved the world, that Nicodemus, he's a rich man. He comes to faith. Right, Jesus is buried in the tomb of a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea. Lydia, a seller of purple in the book of Acts, is a rich woman, businesswoman, sharp. 
There's plenty of folks who are wealthy from the world center to come to faith. But here's what I would say. You cannot love God and mammon. That's Jesus' words. They will compete. And let me, let me kind of speak directly to the young, the teenagers, the 16, the 22-year-olds, the right just got out of college. The, Solomon, who is the wisest man who ever lived, says this. Remember now, your creator, in the days of your youth. Because what happens is you get older and you start getting stuff and you accumulate it and you get good at a skill and you have a nice house and you get a little extra money is you start to not see your need. Because look how well I got a BMW. I don't need anything. We're doing well. We're going to retire at 58. We're good. And you, if you don't get it when you're young, it's harder and harder when you get old and get more wealthy and get more stuff and get more busy and you got family and all this stuff. Now, when you're 22 and paying off college loans and broke is a joke, remember now, when you're in college, be discipled now, get, press hard into your relationship with God now and grow so that when you have that stuff, you can say, this is just stuff and I'm going to invest it in the kingdom. That's what you do. God's not anti-stuff. He's given some of y'all tremendous stuff because he knows you're gonna be faithful, right? The question you gotta ask is, how can I take this stuff that God has given me and make it worth a hundredfold in the kingdom? That's the question you gotta answer. I can't answer it for you. I would say this. If you're not doing that, you're gonna be greatly disappointed. I saw the day the guy that started like, was it Red Bull or whatever? He passed away, 78 years old. That's because he drank Red Bull, okay? Uh, He's a billionaire. What good is it for him now? Billionaire. Hey, he can't do nothing with that stuff now. That's the point. But you can, and it doesn't have to be a lot to invest in the kingdom. You figure that out, what that looks like. And this is not a, please give to the church. No, I mean, we believe that this is a good investment because we give about 20% of our stuff away to missions in the kingdom. But you find a place where God wants you to invest your time, your treasure, your talent, and you pour into that, and Jesus says a hundredfold. Hundredfold, right? And here's the last kind of takeaway. Don't overlook the unlikely. Because if we're honest, we just like the disciples would gravitate to the rich young ruler. And we think, man, if we could just get that quarterback to believe, if we can just get the CEO to believe, if we can just get a governor or a mayor or a senator, and we're real impressed with some, some athlete that says, I love Jesus, and we're like, we need him on our team. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the thing. Christianity is the religion of the common man, of the reject. Because this guy who's making this much money and super successful, and this guy over here is on his third marriage and just lost his job and has got addiction, which one of these guys is more likely to be needy? that guy. And that might be what God's doing. I'm not saying we ignore this guy, but this is the guy that's broken. This is the guy that's more really probably likely to say, hey, do you know you're a sinner? Yeah. Do you know, you know that Jesus loves you and offers forgiveness? You're kidding me. Even me? This guy doesn't need forgiveness because he, he can go buy a new car. I got a Tesla. I don't need it. So don't miss this guy because it's the children that Jesus says, come to me, the needy, that I can't even hold my head up and pick up my pacifier. Those are the ones in the kingdom. And, and do not miss, you, each one of us has a person in our life where like, man, that person, there's no way that person ever come to faith. I mean, no, no way. Don't forget, Jesus says, hey, with God, all things are possible. Because some of you in this room, that was you. People are like, no way. That person's coming to faith. And you know who one of the key people, that, one of the, probably the, one of the most obvious is, is right here. 
Because if you would have known me in college, you'd have been like, no way that dude's coming to faith in Christ. Foul mouth Fowler, no way. The last person you'd ever think that would be staying on the stage. Not only because I'm a PE major, I'm not that smart, but I was a pagan. And here's what, what I found out. I went, went out off to seminary, got saved in 1998, or 1997, excuse me. Went off to seminary and met a guy at seminary. He was an Air Force chaplain training for Air Force chaplaincy. His last name was Whitehead. I said, hey, dude, I knew, I knew a guy at the Citadel named Whitehead. He said, oh, yeah, my brother went to Citadel. You're kidding me. He's like, no. So he went and asked his brother about me. And he came back a couple weeks later. He said, I asked my brother about you. I told him, I said, you're not gonna believe it. I, I met a guy from Citadel. He said, what's his name? Bill Fowler. He said, you are kidding me. We used to pray for that guy every day. When I was a pagan sophomore at the Citadel. You don't know what God will do with the unlikely. Right? You don't know. Because God is the God of the impossible. So you're praying for your spouse. You're praying for your kids. You're praying for your parents. You're praying for your neighbor. You pray and expect that God is the one who moves and let's see what will happen. See what will happen. And if you're here, let me encourage you. Like, I don't even know why I'm here. I got invited by a friend. You're here this morning because God loves you like he loved this guy. And he brought you here for a reject PE major to tell you that in your sin, God still loves you. He took your place on a cross. He died and he rose again, being declared the son of God. He said, you can have forgiveness and eternal life, but you gotta turn from your sin. You gotta come broken and needy like a baby with his head all leaning over here and I will hold your head up and I'll bless you and I'll make you my own. But you gotta come empty. You gotta come broken. You come through him or you don't come at all, all right? We'd love to talk to you about that, encourage you with that. Come grab one of us on staff, a pastor, because that's why we're here. Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost, and it's our job to tell you and everybody that there is a Savior who loves them. Let me pray. We'll respond in singing. Father, thank you for truth of the good news that Jesus saves sinners, rich, poor, old, young, all creed, age, race, that he came and laid down his life for us. Let us treasure him, Lord. Help us as a church to treasure Jesus. Help me to treasure Jesus. Uh, take our affections from things that are not worthy and to pour it on you. Pray for the person here who's uh, wrestling, who doesn't have confidence because they're trusting in their goodness. They would see they can't earn your favor. You have given it in Christ. I pray that we would be able to take this message of a savior to the world, that you would help us to spread the news, the good news that Jesus Christ uh, gives life, eternal life and forgiveness. So open those doors for us this week, we pray in Christ's name, amen. You guys can stand as we sing.